Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very slow. all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. (laughs) Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome to Coast to Coast. Leslie Klinger back with us. He was last on with Ian Punnett back in 2019. He considered to be one of the world's foremost authorities on Sherlock Holmes, Dracula, H.P. Lovecraft, Frankenstein, and the history of mystery and horror fiction. He's the editor of many books, including the three-volume, the new annotated Sherlock Holmes and the New York Times bestselling annotated Sandman, and also the one we're talking about tonight, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, a two-time Edgar Award winner. He has also edited two anthologies of classic 19th century mysteries, co-edited five anthologies of Sherlock Holmes stories with Laurie King, and four anthologies of classic supernatural fiction with Lisa Morton. He has co-edited the eight-volume Haunted Library of Horror Classics, and is the editor of the Library of Congress Classic Series, now 11 volumes. Leslie, you never get done. You're always working. Well, i got to keep busy, George. It's uh, great to be back on the show. And, uh, you know, I have to think of new books all the time so that I can come back. Well, I'm glad you are, and this is fantastic. I've always been fascinated with the story of Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, it's been fantastic. But a lot of people have a misunderstanding of that story. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts. Well, People see this, um, like many of the classics, their view of the book is based on the movies. And the movies, naturally enough, have simplified the story, changed the story, added romantic elements, and so on. Um, This is not a story about science gone bad. Just like Frankenstein is misconstrued to be that kind of a book, so is Jekyll and Hyde. This is about... um, uh, a man, a, I don't want to say a bad man, uh, a normal man who's got some bad and some good, who decides that he can be better if he lets the bad out. And um, it has terrible consequences. But it's a very human story. And I think that's the part that people 
want it to be about monsters. It is. It is. Uh, and I remember as a kid reading the story and seeing the story. You write the movies, do take it out of the way. And I'll always remember the uh, the change, the chemical change and everything yeah. else. And then, uh, But it's really not about that kind of science, is it? No, it's, it's really about St- Stevenson himself described it brilliantly as that old war of the members. What he meant was that all of us struggle with our good nature and our bad nature with the we have sins, we have flaws and we we try and deal with them. We try and adjust our lives and and adjust our personalities to deal with that. But Dr. Jekyll decided to take the easy course. Um he thought he could be perhaps better if he separated his good and bad sides. And it turned out to be a disaster. It sure did. So let's let's break them down as two individuals, if we can. Tell us who Dr. Jekyll was. So Jekyll is, unlike the film versions, Jekyll is not some unalloyed goody-goody. Um, he's not a charitable doctor. Um, he's a, a a normal English gentleman who, in fact, we know has had some sins in his past. The book is very ambiguous about the nature of his sins, um, and we're not sure whether he's repenting for youthful dalliances with prostitutes or whether he had homosexual encounters in his youth that he's ashamed of now, but he's clearly trying to make up for this. Um, and as I say, he comes up with this wrong-headed notion that a chemical may help him by separating out <coughs> the elements of his personality that are good and that are bad. And so when he takes the chemical, now comes out not a monster, but his own natural evil side mm-hmm. is released without any constraints. Was he schizophrenic? I don't think any more so than anybody else. <laughs> and this came out at a period where Jack the Ripper was a real problem in England, wasn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. It was 1886, the Ripper is uh, doing his work in mainly in 1888, but it's certainly the time period. And, and it's interesting, the, murder, the Ripper murders began um, in 1886, and uh, people blamed Jekyll and Hyde. That's interesting. And tell us again about Dr. Mr. Hyde. Who is he? Well, Hyde is, we don't, again, we don't really know the nature of his sins, other than he does commit a murder. Um, but he is a, he's a very secretive person. He is, interestingly, physically smaller than Dr. Uh, Jekyll. And people don't like looking at him. He's uncomfortable to look at. We don't know whether he's got some physical deformities, but just his very appearance makes your skin crawl. Uh, this is Jekyll's bad side. This is, these are all the evil elements in Jekyll's character that he's left unalloyed. There's no leavening of goodness, and there's no conscience in, in Hyde. When Stevenson wrote the story, did he concoct two physically different people? Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde? Not really. Not really, because this is conceived of... Jekyll actually has the idea... Hyde has the idea, actually, that 
he's achieved the perfect disguise. So when Hyde is around, this isn't a person who splits into two beings. This is someone who becomes Mr. Hyde. So when Hyde wants to hide, pun intended, by Stevenson, I think, uh, when Hyde wants to hide, he turns back into Jekyll. And there's no wow. evidence of Hyde at all. And, and vice versa. You ever remember, Les, the uh, film with Jerry Lewis called The Absent-Minded mm-hmm. Professor? Right. The Nutty it, Professor, is that? I think, I was know. it The Nutty Professor? Yeah, a great film. One of my favorites. <laughs> it, that's a little like Jekyll and Hyde, because well, he, he becomes that, that other character. That's right. He becomes a, a person with none of the character restraints. He's not a very nice person. He becomes this... Uh, he goes from being a, a, a an absent-minded professor into this suave, sophisticated uh, jazz musician, as I recall, with with um, an attraction, to, very attractive to women. Um, and what was his uh, name? Buddy Love or something like that? Yes. Oh, yeah. you have a better memory than I. Buddy Love. Yes. Uh, and there's been other, of course, comic Jekyll and Hyde versions, but that's one of my favorites. I remember seeing it as a kid, and it was great. So is Stevenson trying to tell us in his work on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde that all of us have two personalities within ourselves? Yes, exactly. At least two personalities. At least. That, that, that we have all of these human elements, and and they're at war. Uh they're at war with each other, and we need to stop being hypocritical about this. So this was written at a time when I think Stevenson himself felt very much that he was a hypocrite. He had been um, intended by his parents to become a respectable uh, professional class member who was going to be an architect, um, and he really wanted to be an artist. And I think he felt that he himself was living a double life. Um, And he resented the hypocrisy he was forced into, and he resented the hypocrisy of English society. Tell us a little bit more about Stevenson. I mean, was the guy creative and clever? He must have been. Yes, a a wonderful writer. Uh, Perhaps remembered, I mean, people have forgotten, I think, to some extent, that he wrote this book. Um, he's he's well-remembered for having written Treasure Island, Kidnap, mm-hmm. uh, Child's Garden of Verses, and other books that people think of as wonderful uh, children's books. But, in fact, he was writing all kinds of material. He also wrote uh, The Master of Ballantrae um, and, and other books about Scotland uh, and its history, and many, many short stories. He wrote uh, mystery stories. Uh, this is his mystery novel, if you will. But um, he was a prolific writer. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. 
BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Did he burn this manuscript originally? Well... That's a that's a complicated st- question, George. We're not sure is the, is the answer to that. Uh, his his wife Florence claimed that he had burned the manuscript. Um, it's clear that he destroyed. She tells a story about him coming out and saying to her, "I've burned it. Um, I'm starting over." Uh, it it may be that she burned it. Um, it's pretty clear that she didn't like it. The first draft, anyway, I think she thought was too sexual. Um, as I said, the the final version is very ambiguous about the sins, um, the sins committed by Jekyll in his past, the sins committed by Hyde. Um, and I think perhaps the first version, which we've never seen, um, was less ambiguous. And she wanted it to be more allegorical. So she may have burned it herself. <clears throat> but in any event, Stevenson did destroy the first The first draft was destroyed. We'll put it that way. And very quickly, he produced a second draft. The whole story took him like three days to write. And then he polished it and polished it. But it was done in about six weeks. When it came out in 1886, was it an instant success? Yes. It was actually. It was. It was um, very popular and very uh, controversial. The uh, people were preaching about it from uh, from the pulpit. Uh, as I said, the people blamed it for uh, for in- inspiring Jack the Ripper. Um, but it was it was a success, and and part of the success was that it was also immediately ripped off for the stage. Uh, the copyright laws basically didn't protect authors who didn't produce their own stage version. And so somebody else produced a stage version of it within months of the book being published, uh, which Stevenson didn't like. Uh, but uh, it was it was very popular, and it ran on the, in, in the theater for many, many years in many different versions. Oh, so it was even like a play, huh? Yes. And, of course, the play then became um, film. That's right. Uh, in the, the there are some very early silent films of it. Um, 
the greatest of which I think is the 1920 uh, John Barrymore film. Um, but uh, it was extremely popular on the stage and then on screen. I mean, it's been made into a film dozens and dozens of times. It's not as it's not quite as popular as Sherlock Holmes, but it's it's well up there in terms of how many films. What kind of doctor was Jekyll supposed to be at the time? Well, in the in the original book version, we don't know. Um, he's a physician. We don't know anything about his patients. Um, or his you know, expertise. We don't know that. Yeah, we don't know anything about that. Um, he has a laboratory uh, of his own in which he's been doing experiments, but that's all we know. Uh, in the film versions, you know, he's he's made into a real uh, uh, hero. He's made into a doctor who treats uh, charity cases, a doctor who treats children, um, and so on. But that's not in the book. And he concocted some kind of chemical yes. that he ingested to become Mr. Hyde? Right. It's, it's vague. Um, uh, this is not, uh, again, just like Frankenstein, where what happens to invigorate uh, the creature is left very ambiguous. All we know here is certain parts of the chemicals that are here, but it's very vague what it is. I know today, Leslie, when people run into people who have the appearance of two personalities, one day they're nice, next day they're not, people call them Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Absolutely. This, is, this fascinates me. This fascinates me that certain characters of literature have grown stature well beyond the pages of their books. So, yeah, I mean, you listed them off earlier. Sherlock Holmes, Dracula, Frankenstein, uh, and Frankenstein's creature. Um, these characters uh, um, have gotten almost mythic status. Um, and, and it's because they are so important in terms of their uh, representation of human ideals and human problems that they've taken on a plasticity. I mean, why is it? This is where, how I got to the book in the first place, which is sort of wondering how is it that a, a little book like this has had such vitality for almost 140 years. Exactly. And did, did Dr. Jekyll know who Mr. Hyde was at the time of conversion? Yes. Yes. It seems like Jekyll was sort of present the whole time. Uh, that this wasn't, uh, you know, this wasn't, he wasn't wiped out and replaced by Hyde for periods of time. They seem to have coexisted. Um, Jekyll is very aware of what Hyde's sins were and um, is ashamed of them. But uh, eventually, I mean, he finds well, the, the scary part for him, of course, is that he stops being able to control this. Uh, in the beginning, he takes the chemical, he turns into Hyde. Um, he indulges his evil side, probably a little too much, um, and then he takes the chemical again and turns back into Dr. Jekyll and therefore can escape the police that way. Um, but eventually what terrifies him is that he loses control. Um, Hyde starts appearing. In Taking over. Chemicals. Yes. Interesting. Interesting. I won't give away the ending, of course. But, right. Uh, it, and this is, I mean, it, uh, it's good you said that, George, because this is presented, this is a mystery. It's a mystery. Uh, the detective is a fairly colorless 
lawyer, we won't say anything bad about lawyers, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, being one myself, uh, but Mr. Utterson is trying to figure out sort of not only the, the murder, what happened to Sir, to Sir Danvers Carew, but also this strange will that Dr. Jekyll has had him made out. Who is Hyde? Why does he have such an adverse reaction to Hyde the one time he meets him? It's a real mystery. And one of the things that that I really appreciated about the book and spending a lot of time with it was the incredible craftsmanship that Stevenson applied here in building up the clues. When you When you know the secret that Jekyll and Hyde are the same person, and you go back and read the book knowing that, it's very beautifully done. How far into the book before you realize that? Well, the end. I mean, it's only revealed in the final chapter. Yeah. And it's pretty dramatic, too. It is. It is. It's very dramatic, and, and it's like, oh, my gosh, that explains everything. Could he stop taking the chemical? It was almost like he became addicted to it. Yes, I think there, I think there is certain elements of that, too. Um, that it, it became it became pleasurable. It became a chance for him to guiltlessly commit the sins that he wanted to commit, um, at least guiltlessly while he was hide. Like he could always say, "It wasn't me." That's right. Not my fault. How close does this echo the real life of Robert Louis Stevenson? Oh, not at all, really. I mean, he he wasn't a bad person. He was an artist. But I mean, he he finally did take control and and threw off the the bourgeois life that his family intended for him, and uh, left for tea and basically uh, lived lived the the final years of his life there, pursuing his art. So he did achieve his dream. He did take control of his personality and. Um, become who we want it to become. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. 